Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to welcome you back to the program again this week and trust that you have been following the last three, four weeks while we've been teaching on some things that I think are so vitally important right now. I encourage you to tell your friends about this and, and, and uh, what we're teaching because if, it, if you are full of fear concerning stuff that is, I guess what would be described as what people think a lot of times are end time events, that I'm going to say some things that may challenge you, but I think it's also going to bring some peace and comfort to you. We've been addressing the idea of the last days and the end times because a lot of stuff is being said about the end times and the last days in, these, in this hour that I believe are coming from an old covenant paradigm. Now, uh, I'm not going to review too much because I've already done two segments on this. But in the scriptures, let me just say this. Hebrews 1 verse 1 said, God who at sundry times and in times past spoke to us in, through, and by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken to us by the Son. The apostle that wrote the book of Hebrews called his day the last days. He was talking to Hebrews in the first century. Audience relevance and context is everything. A text out of context is just a con. Sometimes we make stuff apply to us that was not written to us at all. Now it was written for us and we can glean things from it. The Word of God is still very relevant to us. But most of the stuff that we believe or that we have believed is supposed to be happening in the end times is not for this age. It was for the Old Covenant age. I say because I teach on eschatology to leaders quite a bit, but I've decided I'm going to do this on TV because people need to get this. I say to them, probably everything you believe about end times is right, except that you have the end at the wrong spot. And what I mean by that is that these scriptures that are talking about the last days are not talking about the end of this age. They were talking about the end of that age. And the last program I did, I, I, I exhausted that subject, I think, fairly well, because Peter says in Acts chapter 2, this is that, right after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, he said, this is that. He didn't say this is what's going to be. He said, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, that in the last days, saith God. Peter calls his day the last days. John the apostle said, little children, we know it is the last time because Antichrist is already on the scene. Now, he calls his day the last days. And, you know, uh, you know, I could just, let me just say this about, you know, of course, I, uh, you know, uh, there's bunches of scriptures like that to talk about the last days. Paul the Apostle wrote to the church at Corinth, a first century church. He said to them, all of these things happen as examples for us upon whom the ends of the world are come in King James. But the word world is translated wrong, and the new King James corrects that. He says that everything that happened to them happened to them as an example upon whom the ends of the ages had come. Uh, Hebrews, the ninth chapter I, I shared last time, was one of my favorite verses in the Scripture talking about the end of the world. Hebrews 9 said, Once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. 
But when you translate that word correctly, it's not talking about a catastrophic cosmic collapse of the world. He said, he's saying it like this, once in the end of the age he has appeared to put away. That puts the end of the age and the end of the world not in your future. It puts it in the time slot of the first century. And then when Jesus comes on the scene, he tells them in Matthew chapter 24, when they say, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the world? Once again, King James translates it world. So we think we're talking about an end of a cosmic collapse of the world, but it's not the Greek word for the globe. It is the Greek word again, age. What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And so I would say, what age is he talking about? He's talking about the end of the Old Covenant age. And those catastrophes and plagues and curses were coming upon a first century apostate Israel who would not receive the mercy and redemption of the true Lamb of God and apply it to the doorposts of their houses. So Jesus prophesies to them in Matthew 23, woe, 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 and he tells them that everything that the blood of all of that were slain from the blood of righteous Abel to the son of Bacariah to, the, to, to Zechariah, that all of that blood would come upon that generation right there. Jesus answers their question about when will these things be. Uh, again, I, I encourage you to go back and watch last week's program because it would help you to understand because I did a whole segment just on the timeline. And let me say quickly, I don't want to just distract you here, but if you missed it, you say, well, I'd like to see that, but I don't know how to. The easiest way is just to go to my website, and there is a link in the upper right-hand corner directly to my YouTube channel. And we are going to archive these on YouTube so that you can watch them at your leisure and share them with your friends. There's also the audio portions of this on iTunes and on uh, the RSS feed, and there is a link directly in the upper right-hand corner to that so you can go back and review those things. When he speaks, when he, when John, uh, the Revelator, writes the Book of Revelation, he tells them these things are about to shortly come to pass. They which pierced me will look upon me. I mean, scripture after scripture after scripture. You have to do great violence to the text to pull this out of a first-century fulfillment and try to stick it somewhere out in the future. I, I simply tell people sometimes when they say, "Oh, boy, these are the signs of Matthew 24 that are happening." Well, this is the pestilence, and this pandemic is the pestilence. I say to them, "Well, first of all, Jesus said, let him that's in Judea flee to the mountain." You don't live in Judea. It was written to a first century audience who would see the siege of Jerusalem. And so those plagues and catastrophes will not come upon us again as being coming from God as the source. I'm not saying that there's not some things that are going on in our world, but God is not the source. He cannot send the curse on you because you've been redeemed from the curse, Jesus being made a curse for us. The war is over. God is not mad. He is not at war with you. Peace has been made through the blood of the cross. Is God concerned about what's happening in the world? Absolutely. But He is the Savior of the world, and He is interested and more interested in what's healing your brokenness than he is in judging you for your sin. As a matter of fact, your own sin is what judges you. We blame God for sin. There are, there are consequences to sin. 
There are consequences to abandoning Him. There are, you know, if you abandon God, then He'll let you go your own way until it runs out, and then you realize, well, hey, I think I need a Savior. But He stands there with His arms outstretched, not to beat you upside the head the moment you come back, uh, but but to, to stand for the goodness of God leads you to repentance. And most of the scriptures that are talking about wrath throughout the scripture, listen, especially those of you guys who are preaching grace, if you don't put these scriptures in the right context, you can't preach one minute God's not mad, and the next minute, well, He's really boiling on the back burner somewhere out in the future, all hell's going to break loose. No, 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 you can't. Listen, either it's done and it's finished or it's not. And most of these scriptures that are dealing with wrath are dealing with something that would happen in a first century group of people who would reject their Messiah. Now Jesus begins to set the context here, and He's not talking once again about the end of the world global. He's talking about the end of the age. What age? The end of the age of the law. Let's look down through some of these verses. It says, Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone will be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. The context here is the temple. He's standing at the temple because, see, even when he started, you heard me teach this when I was in the Gospel of John segments. When he cleansed the temple, what he was saying to them is, You think that's the temple? That's not the temple. I'm the temple of God. Jesus said, you know, destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it back up. He was talking about the temple of His body. God was about to move out of that house into this one, and there wasn't room for two. He was about to make a whole new temple. Whole nother message. I'm not going to chase that rabbit right there. But He says, now as He sat on the Mount of Olives, His disciples came to Him privately, saying, tell us when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming, and of the end of the age? Not the end of the world, but the end of the age. King James translates this word, end of the world, and we think in terms of global. It's a poor translation. It's not talking about the end of the globe. Matter of fact, if it is, we've got conflict in the Scripture because the Apostle Paul writes and said to him, be glory in the churches throughout all generations, world without end. So we are living in a world without end. And Jesus answered and said to them, now watch this, verse 4, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and deceive many. There were many false Christs. As a matter of fact, that's what John was referring to. He said, there are many antichrists that have gone out into the world. Many people that rose up and bring an insurrection and rebellion, saying that they were the Messiah, they were the Christ. He said, many will come, and there's recorded history of many throughout the, the, the years after the death of Jesus even. They'll come and, and will deceive many, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilence, and earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of sorrows. You read about these pestilence and earthquakes and famines, and you can read them throughout. Even the Apostle Paul took offerings from certain churches to relieve the saints that were undergoing some of these things. But these pestilence and plagues and stuff that he's talking about here is not the coronavirus. It was, it was the pestilence and earthquakes that were happening all over the planet at that time. And he tells them in verse 8, all these are the beginning of sorrows. If you read this in the Amplified Bible, he will tell you all this is the beginning of birth pains. 
God was bringing an old covenant to an end, and He was giving birth to a new covenant. As a matter of fact, He tells them, when you say peace and safety, then comes sudden destruction as of a woman in travail. The birth pains of the first century was upon the church at Thessalonica, who Paul wrote that verse to. Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but that's good news to me. That, that, that it would come like, and he said, you know, it would come like a woman in travail. When they cried peace and safety was that when the Romans had, had pulled back from the city once they'd sieged it, and they had to go back to Rome because there was battles that was taking place, and they had to go back to defend the home city, and for that short period of time there was a reprieve, and they cried peace and safety, but right on the heels of that, sudden destruction came. And as a matter of fact, when, when the Romans sieged that city during the final, around 60-something A.D., A.D. 60-something, probably around three and a half to four years before uh, Jerusalem was destroyed, the people that heard Jesus give this prophecy in Matthew 24 that said, when you see Jerusalem encompassed with armies. You will know that it's near even at the door. And when the Romans sieged the city, every believer that heard Jesus give this prophecy in Matthew 24 fled the city and went into the wilderness where they were fed for 42 months, three and a half years, times, times, and a half times. They fled to a place called Pella. Not one believer died in the siege of the city of Jerusalem because they believed the prophetic word of Jesus was to them in the first century and it came to pass. That was the birth pains of the first century. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation, kill you. You'll be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And, and then many will be offended and betray one another, will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many because lawlessness will abound. The love of many will grow cold. But he that endures to the end shall be saved, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. Now let me just show you again that what he begins to say is that he, all of the stuff that he's saying here, I could literally take weeks and weeks, I'm not going to do it, I'm just trying to give an overview here. They delivered them up to be killed. Many of them were martyred. Some of them lost the spoiling of the goods. They suffered the loss of everything. And, and, and uh, they, they hated one another. And they, 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 mother turned against father, father against mother, because there was such a, a, a division over this. Do we stay with the old covenant? Do we go with the new covenant? Do we follow Christ or do we follow Moses? And all kinds of persecution was coming, not just from Rome, but coming from the religious rulers. And it is in that context that in Luke's gospel's version of this, he says, but if you seek uh, to save your life, you will lose it. But if you lose it for my sake, you will find it. He's using it in that context to say, listen, if you are going to try to save this old covenant life under Moses, you are going to lose it. But if you will lose it for my sake, you will find it. And he talks about being delivered up to be killed. And we know there was all kinds of martyrs that were there. And because uh, of iniquity abounding, the love of many grew cold. But he that endures to the end will be saved. That doesn't mean he that lasts until 2020 or 21 is going to be saved. He's saying he that endures until the end of this Jewish war and the end of this prophetic word would be saved. Saved is a big word. 
Sometimes it talks about salvation spirit, soul, and body, and sometimes it's talking about they would be saved from the catastrophes of these judgments that were coming on natural Jerusalem, and also saved from the curse of the law, because from here on out they would not be uh, inflicted to them because we're not under the law anymore. And then he goes on to say, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. And I've heard people say, well, see, that's one of the signs again that, boy, we can't be the end because the gospel hasn't been preached in all the world. But the apostle Paul writes in several places, and he says, the gospel has been preached to every creature under heaven. And he, he, there, there, there are scriptures where he writes that, and he said, there is no place where their voice is not heard. The heavens declare, they show forth his handiwork, that there's no place where the gospel was not preached. So that criteria, and then when he's talking about all the world, he's talking about all the known world at that time. That's what this word in the Greek means. Well, it's a different Greek word than age. And then the end will come. The end of what? The end of that old covenant age. The gospel of the kingdom was the message that was being preached in the first century by John the Baptist, by Jesus, and by the disciples when he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is not way off in your distant future, it is at hand. Israel's God had become king in the person of Jesus the Messiah. And I talked about that last week when I told you that when He appeared in the cloud, it was not a cloud coming to get you. It was the fulfillment of Daniel chapter 7. And when He said to the high priest, He said, when the high priest said to him, tell us plainly, are you the Christ, the Messiah? He said to them, and from henceforth you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. He was declaring to the high priest, I believe it was Caiaphas, he was quoting Daniel chapter 7, where Daniel chapter 7 it says, and I saw one like a son of man. See, Jesus uses the terminology that only Daniel uses in his prophetic language to describe this event when he calls himself the son of man. It immediately connected the high priest mind to the fulfillment of Daniel chapter 7 when he said, you, uh, that I saw one like a son of man coming in the clouds of heaven, and he appeared before the ancient of days. He was not coming to get us, he was coming in the cloud to appear before the Ancient of Days, and he received the kingdom and the dominion at that time. And Caiaphas rent his clothes and said, what need more do we think of anything? This man is just blasphemed, because what Jesus just did was identified himself as Israel's king and the one who was sitting at the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of glory. Now Caiaphas understood that, and he rent his clothes, and what he's really saying is, if this man is right, then I'm out of the job tomorrow, because there's a new high priest and there's a new king on the scene. I feel the Holy Ghost when I talk like this. Hallelujah. He goes on to say, then, then, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoke by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee into the mountains. Abomination of desolation was fulfilled in around 60-something A.D. I believe it was when, when uh, one of these, uh, one of these uh, Roman leaders, uh, uh, I believe it was offered swine's blood on an altar. It's also when Israel broke the covenant to offer a burnt sacrifice, the offering of the oblation for the Romans ceased. And within that period of time, uh, then they knew that it was nigh the time of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet was about to take place. 
He said, then let those, whoever reads, let him understand. Let those who are in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. Woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days, and pray that your flight be not in the winter or on the Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation such as has not since the world, since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake those days shall be shortened. Now let me just address this first of all. And he says, when you see the abomination of desolation stand in the holy place, I think it could also be when the Romans came in and violated and uh, Gentiles were entered into the temple of God where they'd never been before. A lot of different ways to look at the abomination of desolation. I don't want to take a long time on that. But he said, when you see all of this stuff take place, then let those, in other words, when you see the Romans besiege the city, let those that are in Judea flee to the mountains. And I said in this another segment, you don't live in Judea. This prophecy is not to New York City. It is not to Washington, D.C. It is to those who live in Judea. Stop taking stuff out of context. Try to make it fit with what's happening in the newspaper. That's not a proper hermeneutic. You've got to compare Scripture with Scripture and read it in context to the audience it's written to. He said, then let flee to the mountains. And that's exactly what they did was the moment that they saw Jerusalem encompassed with armies, the Christians left there, they fled to Pella. Not one Christian died in the siege of Jerusalem because they believed the word of the Lord. Let him that's in the field not go back to get his clothes, but woe to you who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight or your exit, literally it doesn't mean flap your wings flight, it's talking about your fleeing out of Egypt prayed that your fleeing is not on the Sabbath, because on the Sabbath day they weren't allowed to go, but so far in the journey. And then he goes on to say, uh, uh, for then there will be tri tribulation senses, not since the world began until this time, nor ever will be, and unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days would be shortened. For the elect Jews' sake that believed the words of Jesus, those days would be shortened. If you go back and you read the writings of Josephus the historian, and you read some of the horrible events that took place during the siege of Jerusalem that happened by the Romans where they literally ate their own children. Bodies were stacked so high that maggots and worms were everywhere. Death, famine, destruction was everywhere. It was fulfilling this prophecy. And Luke's version of this said, these are the days of vengeance, so that everything, so that all things written in the Scripture might be fulfilled. It was fulfilling the Scriptures of the Old Testament that prophesied this desolation. The fulfillment of, uh, you know, even, let me just say this, when Jesus stood up at his, the beginning of His ministry, He took the book of Isaiah. He said, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because He sent me to preach the gospel to the poor, to set at liberty them that are bruised, and to declare the year of the, the acceptable year of the Lord, which is the year of the favor of our God. And He closed the book. And He said, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Jesus does, if you read the text in Isaiah that Jesus was quoting, He leaves something out at the beginning of His ministry. He said, these are the days 
He came to declare the year of the favor of our God. So he's declaring favor. That's at the beginning of his ministry. But the latter part of that verse that Jesus does not quote is when he says to them, for, uh, let, let, me get, let, let me get a he said, to declare to them the year of the favor of our God and the day of the vengeance of our God. He leaves out the last part, the day of the vengeance of our God. Because at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, it was not the days of vengeance. It was the days of favor. Favor was still upon them. But the door was about to be closed, if you will. The ark was about to shut the door. The opportunity for Israel to come into the covenants of promise was about to wrap up. I, I, I don't have time to start talking about the timeline here. But in Luke's gospel, he talks about the same Olivet Discourse, the same destruction of the temple. He said, these are the days of vengeance, that all things that are written might be fulfilled. In other words, because they would not receive the redemption and the salvation that God was offering them, all of the plagues would come upon them. That's what Revelation, the book of Revelation is about, is the fulfilling of all of God's keeping His end of the covenant bargain of the Deuteronomy promises. I have gone through all the curses of Deuteronomy and I, I said, here's the curse given in Deuteronomy and I take it to Revelation and I lay it over it and I said, right here is where it's fulfilled. God didn't want to give it to them. He wanted to give them mercy. Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how oft I would have gathered you under my feathers. I wanted to give you mercy, but you would not. Therefore, your house is left to you desolate. And what he's talking about, except those days be shortened, and uh, there would no flesh be saved. He's saying, listen, if it were not be for God shortening those days, nobody would have made it through the final days of that siege. But he that endures until the end, the same would be saved. That is, they would come into the full redemption of God's salvation. There was a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, and that salvation was a redemption from the curses of the law. We are not standing in the days of curse. The curse was laid on Him, and I cannot preach curse and vengeance. All of God's wrath was satisfied way back then. We live in a brand new day and I, I think that's good news. I, that ought to be just the possibility that I could be right. Should be incredibly good news to you. What if you don't have seven years of hell on earth to look forward to? What if a lot of stuff that you thought was supposed to happen in the future has already happened? And I think I've given you a pretty convincing case. I'm going to come back and talk about it some more. But we're out of time. We're just about out of time right now. And uh, we're going to come back and talk about some of these things and uh, we, we will, you know, he goes on to say in verse 23, then if anyone says, look, look, here's Christ, or there's Christ, do not believe it, for false Christ and false prophets will rise and show signs and wonders to deceive any, if possible, even the very elect would be fooled. See, I have told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, look, look, he is in the desert, don't go out. Look, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it, for as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be for wherever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. I'll pick it up there 
on the next segment. We do need your help during this time of pandemic. We are not traveling, so our income is cut in half. So we truly need you to help us at this time to be able to stay on the air. If you like what I'm saying and you appreciate us, go on our website. There's a place where you can give via credit card. You can call the number on the screen. Someone will take your credit card or your gift there. You can write a check or money order, send it to the address that will come on the screen, or you can text to give. But we do need your help, and we appreciate all of those who have supported us during this time. God bless you. I'm very excited to announce the release of my newest book. It is titled From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift. In this book, we talk about how the gospel is not about a law you have to keep. It is about receiving a life that will keep you. It is not about living this life out of fear. It is about living a life of faith. It is not about rules. It's about a relationship with a loving father. It is about moving from the old covenant government of condemnation to the new covenant government of affirmation. It is about living life as a citizen of the kingdom right now.